The National Soccer Coaches Association of America is proud to present the NSCAA podcast presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster Dean Linky. The NSCAA is the go-to resource for soccer coaches of any level. From education to networking, the NSCAA has something for everyone. Go to NSCAA.com to learn more about the world's largest soccer coaches organization today. Now, here's your host, Dean Linky. And yes, I thank Team Snap, and yes, I thank the NSCAA. This is Dean Linky. Delighted to be with you, and I love this show because it's timely, folks. John Hackworth is the head coach of the U.S. Under-17 men's national team there in Panama, trying to qualify for yet another World Cup. It'll be the third team John Hackworth has taken to the World Cup, assuming he'll get through the CONCACAFs, and we know he will. And guess what? He joined me on Tuesday night, the night before USA played Mexico, and you'll love his interview. He believes he has a team that could win the World Cup. That's why we play him, right? And I love his confidence. And speaking of confidence, also Mark Sampson, the head coach of the England women's national team, will be featured. The good folks at the NSCAA had an opportunity to send over questions. Mark Sampson answered them, and we bring him to you. It's the NSCA podcast, and it starts right after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snacks. Managing your club or league shouldn't feel like a second job. With Team Snap, it doesn't have to. They help their customers save time and sanity on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to teamsnap.com slash NSCAA1. Now, once again, here's your host, Dean Linky. I am Dean Linky, delighted to be with you for the NSCA podcast, and we feel like we've landed a major fish. The head coach of the USA Under-17 national team, fresh off their 5-0 thrashing of Jamaica. They face Mexico on Wednesday. Now, when you hear this podcast, that will be just yesterday, but with a preview of that game and everything he's doing with the U.S. Under-17 team, we are so pleased to be joined by John Hackworth, the head coach of the U.S. Under-17 men's national soccer team down in Panama getting ready for the Mexico game. John, thanks for being with us. My pleasure, Dean. Now, John, it's my understanding that as the head coach, this is the third World Cup you're trying to qualify the U.S. under-17s for. Is that correct? That is correct. So, obviously, your strength in coaching these young men is fantastic. So, I kind of want to go back to really what Bradenton has meant as well, building this program. Give us a little bit uh, of kind of your feel on what the Bradenton experience has meant for the development of this team. Well, look, I'm going to tell you, number one, I'm biased. Uh, but it, in my humble opinion, is the best player development environment uh, that we have in our country. Um, and I've been very fortunate to be a part of it as an assistant coach with John Ellinger uh, and as a head coach uh, now for for three and a half cycles. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those cultures where with the best and most talented players in the country on a daily basis, you know, push each other through training, through mental conditioning, through uh, physical conditioning, through just the, the maturation process of growing up from being you know, 15 years old to uh, a 17-year-old and going through your first World Cup qualifying experience and, and hopefully a World Cup. 
uh, it's just a tremendous uh, environment. And again, I'm, I'm so blessed and lucky to have been a part of it for so long. Now, John, before we talk about that Jamaica win, a big 5 nothing win, and preview Mexico as well, kind of one day ahead of this podcast, uh, another question related to your time at Bradenton, and this one comes directly from Ian Barker, the director of coaching from the NSCAA. We know what this has meant for these players signing pro contracts and homegrown deals and that type of thing. But from Ian's perspective, he wanted to know what it has meant to like the U14 player, the U13, the U15 player to be able to look up to this team for the USA and down at Bradenton. Well, I, I think there's a reason Ian is as good as he is. Um, and that's exactly right. I mean, anytime we have young players and uh, from from the U12 on up, uh, and, and even um, I'm sure there's kids that are younger, you know, this current generation of players is, you know, the, the stars of the future for those players. And, you know, you need to have that desire. You need to have a dream or an idea of what you want to become. Um, so I think whether it's Josh Sargent or Andrew Carlton, you know, there are young, very talented American players out there that now, you know, have probably seen these guys in some games or some highlights, um, especially since they seem to be all over their, their mobile devices these days. And, uh, you know, that should be the inspiration and the motivation for those young, talented players, you know, to, to get that ball out and, and just start playing with it and, and trying to become, you know, what these guys are right now. Um, that being said, we think the same thing for these players currently, that they have to, you know, hope to be the Michael Bradleys and the Josie Altidores and the Omar Gonzalez's. You know, we, we have to make sure that, that they have that same motivation and inspiration to reach uh, hopefully the full team one day. Well, and with that inspiration, one of the follow-ups that Ian had is when you put that USA uniform on, does that stop you from thinking about, hey, I'm a homegrown player for MLS or I want to go over to Spain or Europe? Is it USA first and foremost, John, or do you still have to kind of balance the fact that they're representing the USA, but they're also thinking about their professional career? Yeah, that's a, that's a really it, – it's a complicated subject at this early age. I mean, these are – uh, 15, 16, and, and some of our guys uh, are 17 years old now. But, I mean, if, if we as adults think back to what we were like at that stage in our lives, uh, you know, there's just so many experiences that you have to, to gather to, to mature. And the reality is that these very talented players, they get pulled in a lot of different directions these days, um, from club and country, constantly fighting for – not fighting, but, I mean, we do – have to cooperate and and we pull them in different directions at times um and then guys that are really getting noticed are you know have clubs agents leagues their own clubs uh you know uh pulling at them uh there's always the the college scouts uh constantly around and there's just a lot of choices that these young men have to make at a very early age um, that are difficult, and that comes with this territory. Um, you know, we try to, in our program, do a lot of education so that they can make good choices for themselves, choices that will allow them long-term development and to have long futures in the game. But again, it's it, these 
big decisions are coming at early points in their life, and that's very difficult. I love that answer. The reality is, as well, the landscape has changed. In your previous World Cups, 90% of them, no doubt, going to college. It's different now, right, John? I mean, what's the percentage of these players going to college? Is it lower than 50% even? Yeah, probably. Uh, in, in, in reality, right now, uh, I couldn't give you an exact number off the 20 that are on this roster. Uh, but I mean, I'm just doing it quick in my head. It's probably less than 50% right now. Um, and that has changed dramatically uh, since the team I took to South Korea in 2007, uh, where the majority of players were going to college. You know, they knew that was their pathway. Uh, one or two might have been going pro and signed early, uh, but it's different now. Uh, and that does change a lot of things. Um, you know, I, I try to just give my opinion to these guys on the ask for it and then speak with parents too you know that the whole idea of you know being a professional in this career is about doing it for a, for many many years not just right now um and that requires you know understanding of what it takes to to be a pro but more importantly that you got a long way to go uh, to truly reach in your full potential. Um, so, look, it has changed a lot, Dean, um, and it has uh, been somewhat of a challenge uh, for our staff coming uh, in the last you know, two years of the cycle, but it's all good challenges, too. Um, and I think we've done a, a good job communicating with clubs, really working closely with the MLS academies um, and the league itself, uh, and then obviously, you know, you get a lot of foreign scouts uh, that come through and, and foreign clubs that have interest too. And, and you just need to handle all of it uh, by trying to take in as much information and make good decisions. You're hearing the incredible insight of John Hackworth, the head coach of the USA Under-17 men's national team, trying to qualify for yet another World Cup. They got it done against Jamaica. They play Mexico on Wednesday. Before we get to that, John, as it relates to you, you know, you played at Wake Forest, you coached at Wake Forest, you've coached in the college game, you coached at Major League Soccer with Philadelphia, but here it is, another stint. Coaching these young men, U-17 and under, that seems to fit you perfectly, right, John? Why, why is that? Dean, I, I don't know if it fits me perfectly, but it is my favorite job ever. Um, and part of it's residency, too. Uh, it's anytime you can be in an environment where five days a week, you know, your job is to be on the field, on the grass, you know, teaching uh, very talented um, individuals how to play the game and sharing that information. That's just, that's what I love. Um, you know, Glenn Myronick. Uh, God rest his soul, would always tell me that he never worked a day. He said, look, this is our passion. This is this is what we love to do. And, you know, I've been very fortunate to, to feel the same way as Mooch uh, in that every time we get to step on the field, be around these young men and, and share our experiences and, and try to grow with them, uh, it's just a great experience. So, um, you know, I'm going to keep doing it for as long as I can, and I've had some great experiences. I wouldn't trade any of them for the world, but this is uh, this is definitely my, my favorite job that I've ever had, and, and uh, you know, I hope it continues for a while. Love that you mentioned Mooch. Had the great honor of working with him at the Colorado Rapids, and love that you're having fun. It's obviously fun when you win five nothing. Tell us what went right against Jamaica. Well, look, it was it was a tough game for a long time. The 
the temperature on the field was 118 degrees, uh, 100% humidity. So it was a really challenging environment. Uh, just listening, I was standing out in the in the sun for the national anthems, and I was like, it is so hot here. You know, I was just standing there, and it was already hot. So, you know, it was going to be a tough, tough game. But, you know, we warmed down over time. I didn't think we played our best soccer in the first half, but I thought we really uh, came out in the second half and were stronger. We executed what we were trying to do from the beginning. Uh, we finally got one past the Jamaican goalkeeper who was really good on the day, Griffiths. Uh, he was exceptional. Um, and then we kind of stretched him out. We brought on Tim Weah uh, and really exploited the spaces wide. And, uh, you know, then the floodgates kind of opened. And then we put, uh, you know, another four past them. Uh, so it was a great start for us. And that's always a really difficult game. I think Jamaica is a, a good team. And, I think they're well coached. You know, we played them a couple times earlier in the year, uh, so it's nice to get that start under our belt. And now, for crazy circumstances, you know, we're facing Mexico in our second game here, um, and that means, in so many ways, uh, it's going to set the tone for the rest of this tournament. But you know, it's it's the rivalry that all the fans and as players and coaches, you know, th this is. This game has some different um, connotation to it, for sure. You know, there's a different feel to it. It means more than just the second game of World Cup qualifying. Well, you know it, and uh, as we already mentioned, John, this broadcast is actually going to air on Thursday, so we'll already know the result. But, you know, we can kind of call you Mr. Prophecy. If you do what three things, what will it take to beat Mexico? Well, I think we have to be very aggressive from the start. Um we have to be, you know, I, our team, we feel, has some, some strengths that we can take advantage of some of the, the Mexico weaknesses that uh, we see as a staff. And we're going to have to do it early and we're going to have to sustain it and really push ourselves uh, through. You know, I've challenged our players to to take their level of play and their level of effort, their level of of mentality, um, mental toughness, you know, beyond what they've ever played. And that's kind of what this game requires. Um, I think if we do that, uh, we will try to control the field position a little bit. Um, we certainly don't want to allow them to dictate the tempo and rhythm of the game. Um, that is a no-no when you're playing Mexico. So, um, but I know they're going to try to do the same thing to us. So it's a big chess match, uh, Dean, and, and if we can get going and, and use our strengths in the right way and take advantage of some of their, uh, what we feel are vulnerabilities, then and I think we have a good shot at, at being successful tomorrow. All right, so win or lose against Mexico, assuming that you advance through the CONCACAFs and qualify for the World Cup. John, let us know, how good is this team? Is this team good enough to win a World Cup? Well, now I'm going to be really bold, but I would tell you that I truly believe they are. Look, we, we've played some of the best teams in the world in the last three years and we have gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with them and we've been successful against them too um mexico is a you know our rival within our confederation um and they have gotten the best of us uh previously in our only matchup uh but this 
particular group has the talent uh, for sure, has the right mentality. It's a really, it's a good team. To, it's been a fun team to coach, Dean. And you know, whenever you get a team, and every team has a different personality and character to it. I mean, this group of young men, uh, I keep saying they were talented because they are, but they they have a true personality that is about more than just them. It's a collective. It's about the we, uh, and they believe it. You know, they know that their greatest strengths is each other. So they depend on each other. They trust each other. Um, they work, you know, tremendously hard, but they work very smart. Uh, so we have been able to compete and be successful against some of the perennial powers uh, of, of world football. Now we have to do it when it counts, and that starts with tomorrow. Um, but if we can, if we reach our potential at this stage, I truly believe that that you know we are as least as good as the top teams around the world and then it's just a matter of going out and executing it and that's a huge challenge obviously it's never been done for a team in our country but uh you know it says a lot about our player development and where we've come in the last 10 and 15 years and so we believe that this group uh has that has that ability I'm guaranteed that we'll do it, but we definitely have a, a, a good group of, of players and, and a team that is moving in all the right directions at this point. I'm so proud of you for that answer. I'm so excited. And maybe I have blinders on because I started with U.S. Soccer in 1989, but you mentioned that cohesion with the players. I also feel like with those blinders, the cohesion among the coaches for U.S. Soccer from top down has never been better. My last question, talk about that connectivity with the U.S. Soccer coaches at every level. John, how's that been? Yeah, Dean, it's great. Um, Look, you know, Chad uh, Ramos, my boss, he's the youth technical director, is here currently. Um, Brad Friedel, the under-19 head coach, is here. Uh, Tony Lepore, you know, the director of, of scouting, is here. We have a lot of integration uh, now with our staff, and, and we are closely working together. Um, the coaching, edu- part, coaching education department has grown significantly. In the last two years, uh, we're all trying to work together, you know, and, and in other areas too, in referee, because we know that if our game uh, is to grow in this country, we all have to improve. We all have to educate ourselves. We have to get better, and we can only do that by uh, sharing information, sharing ideas, having some difficult discussions at times, you know, disagreeing, but coming to. You know, maybe some ideas that it's okay to do it one way, um, and yet there's another idea. It's been great in that because we have had a lot of sharing um, that has gone on through our staff, and that's made us all stronger. It, It honestly has. Just an honor to be with you before you face Mexico. As you said, our rivals. We're so proud of uh, everything you've done for U.S. soccer. We're pulling for you, not just now, but uh, in that World Cup because we know you'll be there. I hope you don't mind me saying that, John. I don't think you do based on the confidence you have, and I love that. Thanks so much for being a part of the NSCA podcast, John, particularly from Panama as you get ready for Mexico. Dean, it's my pleasure. I truly appreciate you, and and, uh, it was an honor to be on your show. So how 
cool was that? John Hackworth, the day before USA plays Mexico in the CONCACAF Under-17 qualifiers for the Under-17 World Cup. Love his confidence. Speaking of confidence, Mark Sampson, what a job he's done as the head coach of the England women's national team. And the good folks at the NSCAA were able to ask him some questions. We'll bring you the answers when we come back as the NSCAA podcast presented by Team Snap rolls on. Ready to ditch your spreadsheet? Team Snap can help you streamline your club and league management. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com slash NSCAA1. The NSCAA is much more than a membership. When you join the NSCAA, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game, just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. Members say time and again that the number one thing they love about the NSCAA is the collegiality. From $1 million in general liability insurance to the soccer journal to awards for coaches and players, we are consistently seeking new and unique benefits to enhance your game, both on and off the pitch. Go to NSCAA.com to learn more. Welcome back to the NSCA podcast presented by Team Snap. So great to spend time with John Hackworth, the head coach of the USA Under-17 men's national team, trying to qualify for the U-17 World Cup down in Panama right now. They faced Mexico on Wednesday. Well, through the NSCAA's partnership with the League Managers Association, the LMA, the NSCA had the opportunity to record a brief Q&A with England women's national team head coach Mark Sampson. On behalf of the NSCAA, we thank the League Managers Association and we bring you the interview with Mark Sampson, head coach of the very successful England women's national team right now. You've already announced your squad for Euro 2017. Why was it important to make that announcement three months before the competition began? I think everything we do with our team is based on you know, prior learning and one of the big lessons from the World Cup was around you know, the preparation phase and for this European Championships we you know, looked at the evidence we had on the back of our experiences which led us to all this decision but then also looking at you know, other sports and it seems that you know, football is the only sport that named their squad so late um, close to a tournament I think naming this squad at the time we've given it gives the players a really good chance to prepare themselves properly in, in every single area it gives them a, a real good sense of security and belief that you know we trust them to to be picked for the squad they're not going to be judged over the course of a, a very short season our domestic competition and always in football you're, you're competing with that element of competition it's a great thing that players compete against each other but like any walk of life security is important as well sometimes you need to feel like you're, you're secure in your position you're trusted and, and also to go through a bit of learning sometimes you've got to go through a backward step and we're not the team we want to be yet we've got a lot of work to do between now and June so for the players to go on that journey they need to accept they're going to make some mistakes they're going to go through some sticky moments but they also know now that they're safe in knowledge that you know, we back and we support them and they're on the plane. So we're willing for them to go through that. We'll support them through it. And our belief is they'll be in a much better place individually and us collectively by the time we, we get ourselves together on the 5th of June. Okay. You sit fourth in the FIFA rankings, the highest position ever held by England in the game. 
After falling outside of the top 10 four years ago, what do you credit for the rise in the rankings during a competitive era in the women's game? It is a fantastic achievement from from the team, staff and players. You know, we, when we started out three and a half years ago, we were outside the top 10. You know, it sat in 11th place, having just finished pretty much last at the European Championships. So to now be you know, pretty much in our bracket, the top team, because I think the way the world rankings work, France, Germany and USA have been so strong for so long, it's going to take you know, a lot to catch them. But we're making great progress. If we were, if we got one more result at the Shebelees, we certainly would have broken into that top three, which would have been fantastic for us. But we're there knocking on the door. But I think the important part for us is that you know it's not where we want to be. We still want to keep moving forward. We, we're determined to, to get that number one spot and be, become the best team in the world. But the progress the team's made over three and a half years has been outstanding. You know, and that's full credit to you know the players. I think if you've got a group of players who are willing to work hard and you create a strong learning environment where people are willing to support each other, you can make some big strides. And certainly, what you know, we've created here and the players are really buying into at the moment. The team's phenomenal run to third place finish in the 2015 FIFA World Cup surprised many in the international soccer community. Was it a surprise to those inside the game in England? I think it was a surprise to everyone outside of our changing room. I think if you look at the the football community in England, whether that be fans uh, internally within the organisation, I think a lot of people felt if we could have got ourselves through the group, it would have been progress on the back of a very disappointing Euro 2013 campaign. But I think within the changing room, we had very strong belief that we could go a long way in the tournament, that we could win the tournament. And in the end, we were disappointed to you know not reach our objective of winning the competition when we, we played so well for so long in that tournament. But I think when you reflect back, looking at the fact that we you know won five matches at a major championship, you know you put that in comparison, that's more matches than England have ever won in total in women's major competitions over the last 50 years. So to do that in one competition is a magnificent achievement. There's only one other England team, male or female, have won five matches at a tournament and that was the, the boys of 66. So to be in that bracket was a magnificent achievement by the players and, and the staff. But I think always for us, it's, it's what's next. And as much as we enjoyed it and we reflected on it, the first thing we reflected on was what can we do next to get, get ourselves across the line? Because when you get a taste of success... You know, it certainly whets the appetite for more and you know, losing that semi-final will be remembered by everyone who was there at the day at a moment that you know, we felt right we need to find a way now to get over the line in these games and we've definitely made some good progress since that tournament starting with the third and fourth win against Germany You're one of the youngest coaches at international level what advice would you give to other ambitious coaches with aspirations of reaching the highest levels of the sport? That's changing pretty quickly at the moment when I first started I was definitely the youngest but with every year that goes by more and more young coaches come in and unfortunately I get older um, but I think in terms of you know, advice to younger coaches I think it'd probably be the same as I give any other players you know work hard get yourself some good mentors and, and listen and learn off them and challenge and, and try and have fun you know try and enjoy yourself I think anything you've you enjoy and you find your passion within it's much easier to work hard in that situation so definitely that the work ethic is a non-negotiable unfortunately for coaches is that you know if you you want to have the life of a player where you train in the morning do your gym in the afternoon recover it's, it's not the life you're signing up for as a manager or a coach it's it's hard work it's long hours there's lots of sacrifice you've got to make but if you if it's something you, you believe in something you love you're passionate about it and you've got people around you can support you, you know, there's no reason why you can't achieve whatever you want to achieve in the game Okay. Having transitioned from your roles at club level, 
How have you adapted to the challenge of the limited amount of contact you have with your player pool now as a manager, national team manager? It's a challenge, but it's also a big opportunity. And I think that's the way we look at it, is that we... You know, we could sit here and we could moan that we don't get enough time with the players but every other national team bar probably the US and Canada are in the same bracket so I think we've got to look at you know, what are we going to do to make the most of our time so we focus our time on you know, doing the things that with the, the amount of time we have we probably couldn't do at a club because as much as there's a short amount of time to work with the players it means there's an extended amount of time to plan, prepare, organise set things up to make sure the experience the players are, are receiving when they're on England duty is something very special and something very unique and we pride ourselves on a unique experience I think our, our USP is that you know, when you come away with England you're getting something very different to what you would get at club level whatever country that might be I think that gives us identity gives the players something to to feel connected to and it gives us that real sense of togetherness when we're together and it also gives us a sense of a, an identity the path and where we want to go because we know what we're doing we know what our vision is and we understand the path we need to take so when the players come to England they understand the box they've got to work within it's an incredibly enjoyable box but it's a really hard box as well and lots of learning goes on a lot of hard work takes place but I definitely feel we use that challenge to our our benefit in terms of using the opportunity we have to prepare camps to make sure the camps are the best possible learning experience the players will experience. Along your coaching journey, how did you become in the women's game, become involved in the women's game? <coughs> and looking back, who were the key influences for you over your course of your coaching career? I think this is the second part. I've been lucky. I've had probably good people around me in every step of the way. So whether that be working with young players in you know, community programmes or um, disability programmes or school programmes. There was always people around who you know, had been there and done it and give some va- valuable advice. And I think that's, that's still true to this day. As I sit in this position now, I'm, I'm fortunate to have you know, technical directors, performance directors and good people around me who you know, can support and check and challenge all the work I'm doing, which is always what we're open to. I think even on camp, we're, we, te- we invite always a guest in to every single camp whether that be from a sporting field or a business and they get the benefit from reserving our camp but we always ask them for some really clear feedback at the end of it and think that helps us you know, keep on our toes and, and think outside the box as well we don't want to be inward thinking in terms of you know what's being done is going to work we want to look at it differently I think the second part of the question around my own coaching journey in terms of how they get into the women's game it's probably a something that I didn't really think about at the time and I can honestly say that when I was offered the opportunity to work at Bristol which is my first chance in the women's game it was more the opportunity to be a head coach rather than work in the women's game that was the the thing I saw that attracted me to that role um, and that's of course of no disrespect to the women's game it, was the same, it would have been the same if it had been a men's or a boys team the challenge at the time was that I'd been an academy manager I'd followed philosophies I'd worked within the systems and I felt it was the right moment for me to be the decision maker and the women's game offered me that opportunity so I took it um, and never looked back since it's been an incredibly enjoyable and challenging experience and I still feel this day I'm, I'm growing and becoming a better manager and leader you know, every day of working with a group of players and staff I work with. With the arrival of the US national team players like Carly Lloyd, Crystal Dunn and Heather O'Reilly in England, what impact will that have both on the domestic league and on the national team as the league is now attracting more international mm. players? With our league, we're, we're always open to you know, some of the best talents in the world coming across. And certainly the three players mentioned there, Carly, Heather and Crystal, 
are you know world class talents. So definitely they'll enhance the competition, both on and off the field, which is still important because we're still trying to grow our game and generate crowds and commercial activity. So those type of characters as well and players of that prestige certainly help that side of it. But from my perspective, it's about the on-the-field stuff and I think their, their training mentality, from what I know of the three of them, three they're very different characters, but three very driven characters in their own way. I think they'll bring a, a real sense of professionalism to their clubs, which can only rub off on our players. They'll bring a, a heightened level of competitiveness in terms of wanting to win and wanting to be the best, which again, I think will help our clubs and players. But again, always there's a balance between how many foreign players we allow into our competition versus the amount of opportunity we give to young English talent. I think at the moment, we've probably got the balance just about right. And always the answer is, are the players who bring in genuine world-class talents to enhance not only the competition, but the clubs and the players they're working with. And I think in that example, those three certainly do that. So I'm excited to see them play. I think Chelsea, Arsenal and Man City will benefit from those three players. Well, you know, it'll be interesting to see the impact that Carly can make in the Champions League, Manchester City in particular, to competition that our clubs haven't done so well in over recent years. But we're confident that Man City can, can address that and start going a bit further. So I'm sure Carly will impact that and she'll enjoy the experience. And I just hope that at the end of it, whether it's a year, two years, three years, whatever their contracts suggest, is that they're going to go back to, to the States and they're going to give a good report on what their experience like was England. Not only in terms of um, the culture, but in terms of the quality of the coaching, the quality of the game, uh, how they were supported, the supporters. You know, all that side of it is important to us. And you know, we know they're going to moan about the weather, but I think if anything else, they can go back with some positive feedback on where the game is moving England. You know, it'll certainly send a message, I think, that we're moving in the right direction, not only as a national team, but domestically and commercially as well. So nice to hear from Mark Sampson, the head coach of the England women's national team. And thank you so much to the League Managers Association. I also want to thank John Hackworth, head coach of the U.S. under 17 men's national team, trying to qualify for a World Cup. We'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening to the NSCAA podcast presented by TeamSnap. By being a member of the NSCAA, you are part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches. Here, you can find coaches like you who are passionate about bettering themselves and their players. Go to NSCAA.com to find out more.